0: Earlier in the service, I was thinking about what Jeremy was reading about the statistics in Germany, uh, how so many people haven't heard the gospel there. And one of the conclusions I came to is, you know, it really just illustrates the desperation in Germany if they would take someone like Jeremy. So they're a its a lost country. So somebody had to bring him back down to earth, which that's kind of my mine and Jeremy's relationship. But uh, in all seriousness... Please pray for Jeremy and pray for other missionaries as well. Now, again, thanks for being here this morning at Prairie View on Mission Sunday, on Kids City Sunday. Uh, We're happy that you're all here. And last week, we started a new sermon series on lost arts of the Christian life. And what we're talking about are skills, practices, and priorities that Scripture encourages or even commands. We're talking about skills, practices, and priorities that Christians throughout history have found to be incredibly valuable and extremely helpful. And yet, for some reason, these things have been neglected or abandoned, lost by Christians today. And so my hope is that as we examine these lost arts of the Christian life, that we might rediscover their worth and that we may even put in the hard work it will take to recover them. So we started by looking at the lost art of discernment. And we saw that discernment is closely associated with wisdom in the pages of Scripture. We defined it as the ability to see through things, the skill of making good judgments when the right decision might be a little obscure. And we saw that discernment is not just a gift given to a privileged few within the church. Discernment is a discipline that every believer is called to pursue. And then I argued that discernment is just as necessary for the Christian life as ever. We live in a world full of both good and bad. We regularly face decisions and situations that Scripture may not directly address. And so in a world like this, if our desire is to make good, godly decisions, then we need discernment. May we pray for God to give it to us. Discernment is for our benefit in order that we might recognize the good from the bad and choose the good. Discernment can help us and help those around us flourish according to God's standards, and they can build up the church. And then last but not least, living with discernment brings glory to God, which is all the motivation that we need to pursue it. But today the lost art that we're going to focus on is the lost art of education. Now, you hear that word education, and it seems like a very broad topic. There are a million different directions you could go in when talking about education. But the main angle that we'll come at it from today is the idea of passing down the faith to those who come after us. Now, some of you may have already checked out because you assume that this is going to be just another parenting sermon. And you know, it just doesn't really apply to you if you don't have kids of your own or if your kid's have grown up. But I hope that this is much more than just another parenting sermon. Because every single believer has a vested interest in educating the next generation about God. And every single one of us in the church has a part to play. So, open up to Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Feel free to use the Bibles we have here if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go further... Let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Father, thank you for the people in this room, people that we know, people that we don't know, faces that we haven't seen in a while. Father, thank you for calling us all here and calling us to worship and giving us this wonderful privilege, uh, this wonderful opportunity to worship you together. Father, with it being Mission Sunday, I pray for the missionaries that our church supports. Uh, We pray for Jeremy as he prepares to go on his trip. Give him boldness, give him courage, give him safety, uh, give him wisdom. And Father, be with Carl and Mary as well, as I'm sure they will be fervently praying for Jeremy here back home. Uh, Willie and Mitchell too. Uh, Father, we ask that you be with their whole family and that you use Jeremy to do great, great ministry in Europe. And Father, we pray for other missionaries we support. Uh, We have friends here this morning who are missionaries. I pray that you'd be with them as they prepare to go back to Mexico. There's a family visiting this morning that has connection to mission work, so I pray that you would bless their family. Uh, Father, we just simply ask that you be with the missionaries that we know, that we love, that we support. Uh, Father, watch over those people doing your good work. And Father, thank you for the kids in the room this morning. I pray that we would welcome them, that we would incorporate them into our worship. Uh, Father, help us let them know. Uh, that they are a part of this church, uh, that they are created in your image, uh, that you care deeply about the next generation, and I pray that we would care about them as well. And, Father, be with us as we read your word this morning. I pray that your word and your spirit would convict us and encourage us and challenge us and remind us of all the things that we need to know, all the things that we need to hear, and that we might put them into practice for your glory. And Father, as Zach mentioned in communion, thank you for the hope, the confidence, the assurance, the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. Nothing that we do here would matter if not for Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we give you and we give your son all the glory. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you watch the news, you may have heard about the recent nationwide college admissions scandal. And that was the story where wealthy parents, some of them CEOs of major companies, some of them celebrities, even Aunt Becky, committed crimes to get their children into some of the most highly respected colleges in the country, often without their child's knowledge. Officials at various schools were bribed. Athletic scholarships were given to students who don't even play sports. Test scores were inflated or the test was taken by someone else on the child's behalf. It's a huge scandal. But if you're a glass-half-full person, you may find yourself sympathizing, even just a tiny bit, with these parents. You could say that they were just blinded by their love for their children. They just wanted their kids to get a good education. They just wanted to set them up for success. I mean, isn't that what any good parent wants? To these people, their child's education, or if you're a glass half empty person, having a school's name on their child's resume, was worth absurd amounts of money. It was worth the risk of jail time. It was worth the potential loss of their careers and their reputations. In one way or another, you could say that these people cared deeply about education. Well, education is important in the church as well. But lately, the picture hasn't looked all that great. Many of us have seen studies done about the lack of biblical literacy among young people. There are studies done showing that many young Christians hold doctrinal stances that are downright heretical. Research shows that young Christians are caving on moral issues that scripture and the church have always spoken clearly about. The alarm bells are being sounded for the increasing number of young believers who leave the church at the first chance they get. Now, on the one hand, a lot of this isn't all that new. This isn't the first time that Christians and churches have worried about these trends, and so maybe we shouldn't totally panic. But on the other hand, if you care at all about passing down the faith to the next generation, it is impossible to read those numbers and not be disturbed. So many churches, many Christian leaders, many denominations are writing books and spending money and holding conferences and hiring consultants and improving marketing and pioneering all kinds of cutting-edge programs to try and reverse these trends, to try and do a better job of educating the next generation in the faith. Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to do any of that stuff today. I don't have a revolutionary strategy to propose. I don't have some exciting resource that will be the silver bullet solution to reverse those trends and ensure that every young person at Prairie View Christian Church will be perfectly educated about our faith and will be a guaranteed follower of Jesus for the rest of their days. I can't do that. But what we can do as a church is remind ourselves about some of the basic teachings of Scripture, when it comes to educating the next generation about our faith. And once we've done that, we can discuss how what Scripture says might translate to us today. So let's start in Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb." You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Mom, dad, what are you doing? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So many of you have heard this story before from the book of Exodus. There is one final plague sent from God that will convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. But before that plague comes, God warns the Israelites to sacrifice a lamb, put its blood around your doors, that way the plague won't touch you. But one of the biggest emphases of this passage that we just read, one that's easy to overlook, is what the Israelites' children will think when year after year after year their parents keep doing the same thing. The parents are commanded to go out, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood around their doorposts over and over and over again, even when Egypt is in the rearview mirror. Even after the plague has passed. The Israelites are to keep doing this over and over and over again, year after year after year, in order to educate their children about who God is and what God has done for them. That's the purpose of it. And then after the Exodus, as the Israelites prepare to finally enter the Promised Land, the same point is made yet again. Tell your children who brought you here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I'm starting to think that Israelite doorposts must not have been very pretty. But we see a few things in this Deuteronomy passage that are worth noting. Number one, that phrase, teach them diligently. Passing down the knowledge of God to your children, to the next generation... your children's children, that doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional. We're commanded to be diligent. There's that phrase about talking of them. So in addition to intentional teaching, the Israelites were commanded to have regular conversations with their children about God. When you're sitting, when you're walking, when you're resting, when you're working, when you wake up and when you go to bed, throughout the routines and the minutia and the boring moments of everyday life, the Israelites are commanded to talk to their children about God, to teach their kids about God. And then there's that talk of binding it on your hand, keeping it as frontlets between your eyes. Build in reminders to yourselves, and to your kids, of who God is and what he's done for you. We are a forgetful people, but we cannot afford to forget God. And so God commands the Israelites, and God commands us, to intentionally remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done for us. Now, there are other biblical examples of this idea of educating children in the faith. A great deal of the the book of Proverbs is written as a father speaking to his son, passing down wisdom, starting with the fear of God. There are bad examples, too. If you read the stories of the evil kings in the Old Testament, they often learned their wickedness from their parents. In Jeremiah 7, there's a passage about parents having their kids gather the wood for the burnt offering dedicated to idols. It's a heartbreaking passage. More often than not, children follow in the footsteps of their parents, for better or for worse. We see it in the Bible, and we see it in our own lives as well. A couple more passages, this time from the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. That's a quote directly from the Ten Commandments. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So Paul reminds his Christian readers of our responsibility to pass down the faith to those who come after us. But he also offers that warning that we not discourage them, that we not burn them out which is certainly a temptation for any parent. But then maybe one of my favorite biblical examples on this topic of education, passing down the faith, comes in the form of Paul's relationship with Timothy. Now, we know next to nothing about Timothy's father. And the little bit that we do know about Timothy's father tells us that he wasn't a believer. And yet Paul repeatedly refers to Timothy as his son. He calls him his child. Paul takes Timothy under his wing and passes down the faith to him even though Timothy is not really his son. In 2 Timothy 3:14 and 15, Paul says, "But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus." Paul passed down the faith to Timothy. And he tells Timothy to remember it. Don't forget it. Know what you've learned. Keep believing it. Stick to it. But it wasn't just Paul who passed down the faith to Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5 of 2 Timothy, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now i am sure it dwells in you as well it wasn't just paul who passed the faith down to timothy it was people like his mother it was people like his grandmother they passed it down to the next generation so in the world of the bible parents were their children's primary teacher of the faith and just about everything else there were no public schools there were very few private schools The private schools that did exist were often reserved for the wealthiest elites of society, and the Christians may not be able to afford it. In the Old Testament, priests and prophets did some teaching. In the New Testament, there were the apostles and some local church leaders. But the people who had by far the most important role, the people who had by far the most significant influence in a child's life, were their parents. The idea of a Christian parent outsourcing their child's discipleship to a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a private Christian school was basically non-existent in Scripture. It is a modern phenomenon. Now, I don't mean to dismiss those people and those resources. Youth pastors and Sunday school teachers and Christian schools can be wonderful resources that can do really great work for the glory of God. But parents, if we expect them to do our jobs of passing down the faith to our children, if we expect them to do all the heavy lifting, if we have the mentality that we can just drop our kids off at church and they'll take care of the Christian education stuff, then we are failing our children. We are failing our children and we are neglecting the calling that God has given us. So parents, I would challenge you to embrace your role as the Christian educator of your children. There was a study done of 11,000 teenagers from six different denominations, 561 different countries. And the study found that only 12% of those teenagers regularly discussed their faith with their mom. Only 5% of those teenagers regularly discussed their faith with their dad. Parents, a good place to start improving this work of education is to care for ourselves. Nurture your own love for God, because after all, you can't pass down what you don't have yourself. So take care of yourself. Guard your own heart. Remind yourself of the truths of who God is and what he has done for you through Jesus Christ. Your kids will learn just as much, if not more, about God from your example than they will from a formal lesson. So grow yourself in your love of God. Nurture your own faith before you pass it down to your kids. Now, many Christian parents feel like they're not qualified to educate their kids about our faith. You worry that you don't know the Bible well enough. You worry that you didn't have Christian parents to show you the way, and you're just not really sure where to even begin. Well, ask for help. We will do our best to encourage you, our best to pray for you, our best to equip you as you embrace this role, as you teach the faith to your kids. But sometimes, if we're really being honest, the problem is not fear of being unqualified, sometimes we just get lazy. Sometimes we just get distracted. Sometimes we're just worldly. If we're honest, parents will bend over backwards to try and set our kids up for success. We will spend countless hours, countless dollars, countless tanks of gas to ensure that our kids are good athletes, have impressive academic achievements so they can get into good schools and someday have respectable careers and make a lot of money, but we will hardly lift a finger to disciple them. We will hardly lift a finger to teach them of our faith. May we repent of that sin. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I'm not a great example of many of the things that we're talking about. These different ideas suggested of teaching our faith to our kids. Olivia makes up for a lot of my weaknesses when it comes to reading scripture with our kids and having organized and intentional lessons with them. There are others in this church, though, That are good examples. Families like the walkers, families like the streets are wonderful examples for parents to imitate. And I'm sure they'd be happy to help you get started if you want to teach the faith to your children. But I will say this, one thing I do enjoy and I hope that I'm somewhat good at is just having conversations with my kids about God. I take Javen to school most mornings, at least four mornings a week, And that means we have a lot of time in the car, just the two of us. In a few days, when it was just the two of us in the car, Javen asked me how old Jesus is. How old is Jesus? And that was an opportunity for me to try and explain the eternal nature of Christ to a six-year-old, which is certainly a teaching and theological challenge. But as we embrace our role in discipling our kids, we may go in different directions. Some of us may be really good at those formal lessons, and some of us may be really good at those informal conversations. Some of us may send our kids to a private Christian school. Some parents may elect to homeschool. No two families are the same, and we don't want to be rigid or legalistic about education. But however you see fit to do it, parents, I pray that we would all remember our roles in educating our children in the faith. And then church, I want to speak to the whole church because like I said earlier in the sermon, this is not just a parenting sermon. This is about all of us. So church, listen up. May we remember what we're teaching our kids. Not just the kids that you gave birth to, not just the kids who live in your home, but all of the kids in this church. May we remember what we're teaching them. Pastors, elders, small group leaders, Sunday school teachers. we remember what we're teaching them. We are not here to teach our kids moralisms. We're not here to teach our kids how to be a good person. We're not here to teach our kids how to get ahead in this world. Above everything else, we are teaching our kids about God. Everything else flows out of that. Everything else comes as a result of that. Author Jack Klumpenhauer which with a name like that, how can you not listen to him? Jack Klumpenhauer says, Christian obedience isn't real obedience unless it starts with love for God. May we start with the love that God has for us, seen so perfectly on the cross. May we start with the love that God calls us to have for him. Then we'll worry about what comes after. Many of you have heard of the TV show Veggie Tales. We watch a lot of it in our house. Veggie Tales is living, breathing vegetables teaching children about the faith. Just, just watch it. I can't explain it. But I recently read an interview with Phil Vischer, who is the original creator of Veggie Tales. And Veggie Tales went through a little bit of turmoil these past 10 or 15 years. At one point, Big Idea, the original company that made VeggieTales, the company went bankrupt. And then VeggieTales was acquired by Netflix, and it was a train wreck. And then VeggieTales was acquired by somebody else. So it's been a little rocky for VeggieTales in recent years. But Phil Vischer, in an interview, said this. When I launched VeggieTales, I was 24 years old. My initial goal was to see if I could make a film successfully. My secondary goal was, if I can make a film, can I put Sunday school values in it? And that ended up going really well. My thought was that once I've established that, once I have an actual studio, then I can take kids deeper. But that didn't happen. Instead, Vischer said, the popularity of VeggieTales meant that he was buried in multiple meetings. He was having to make decisions about everything from human resources hires to whether or not Walmart could sell VeggieTales garden gloves. And he goes on and says, It became so consuming that I completely lost the freedom of time to plot. How do we go deeper with these kids? So when I lost VeggieTales and Big Idea went bankrupt, one of my first responses when my head finally stopped spinning was this. Wait a minute. Did I just spend ten years persuading kids to behave Christianly without teaching them Christianity. I can't just tell kids to behave like Christians. I have to teach them the tenets of the faith. The same is true of us. We are not just here to teach our kids to behave Christianly. We are here to teach them about who God is, to pass down the beauty and the glory and the power and the holiness of God in all of his glory. Not just teaching them how to be good. Not just teaching them how to be nice. Not just teaching them how to be moral. You know, there's a reason we often refer to ourselves as a church family. That's because we all love each other. That's because the New Testament describes us as brothers and sisters in Christ. We all have a vested interest in growing in godliness. Every single one of us in this room. So do you not have kids of your own? Okay. Are your kids out of the house? Great. There are kids here without Christian parents. There are Timothys in need of a Paul. There are tired parents here who could use your help and could use your encouragement. So even if you don't have kids, even if your kids are grown, you still have work to do in passing down the faith to those who come next. And if you're a grandparent, Don't forget that your work isn't done yet either. Timothy's grandmother helped him teach or helped him learn the scriptures. May we do the same. Another recent study showed that one of the most crucial times in a person's life is their first two weeks away from home. And of course, that often takes place on a college campus. Those first two weeks is when they'll make some of the most important decisions that will shape the next four years of their lives And many of those decisions can carry far over into adulthood. And one of the biggest keys to helping a Christian student in their first two weeks away from home is a Christian adult who is not their parent investing in them. A Christian adult who is not their parent giving them a phone call, sending a text, sending a card. You don't have to be a parent to be involved in passing down the faith to those who come after us. We all have a role to play. And of course, it's ironic that we sit here listening to this sermon on Kid City Sunday when we have kids in the church service with us. This is an example of how we want to involve children in the life of the church now. We want them to know that they're not just the future of the church, they are part of the church at this very moment. Part of Kid City Sunday is giving our teachers a break. Yeah, that's part of it. But there's more to it than that. We want our kids to know that they are part of this church. We want our kids to see you singing. We want our kids to see you take communion. We want our kids to see you praying. Because that goes a long way in passing the faith down to them. Now, a couple of warnings before we start to wrap up. Number one, we need to admit that this work of passing down the faith can be very long, can be very tedious, and it often seems like it's not going anywhere. And it will often require great patience and great faithfulness. One of the things we've been trying to do in our house is have our kids pray more. So they'll pray before meals, they'll pray before we go to bed. And Nolan, as of late, has developed a very interesting prayer life. Uh, it's very unique listening to Nolan pray. Uh, he will pray for all kinds of things that we have to really think about. What in the world is he talking about right now? And one, in one of his recent prayers before bed, he prayed, God, please be with all the people in the world who are nice to me. And I found myself thinking, Nolan, you are missing the essence of the gospel. <laughs> Nolan, Jesus did not just die for the people who were To him. He died for sinners. He died for wicked people. He died for people who nailed him to that cross. Nolan, you need to go back to Bible college and seminary. (laughs) So at times it may seem like we're not accomplishing very much. At times we wonder if anything is getting through to Nolan. But if nothing else, by teaching him to pray, we are teaching him, or at least we're trying to, that there is a God, that God is good. That this God cares for us. And that this God is worthy of our worship. We might not see fruit overnight. There will be times when we love and we teach and we serve and we pray for the next generation. And it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. But don't give up. Be faithful. Be patient. And then the second warning is that we cannot manufacture Christians. And here's what I mean by that. Passing down the faith to our children is not like making a cake from a box. When you make a cake from a box, as long as you do everything right, you have the right measurements, you include the right ingredients, you put it in the oven for the right length of time and the right temperature. If you do all that stuff, you're basically guaranteed a pretty decent cake. Well, passing down the faith to those who come after us isn't quite like that. We cannot manufacture or train or engineer our children into a relationship with God. Even if we do and say all the right things at all the right times. Faith and salvation are works of God's grace. They're not our works. They're not the works of well-meaning mentors or a perfect church. There are some things we simply can't control. But while there's no guarantee that your kids or my kids will come to believe in Christ, our roles and our responsibilities are still clear. We are to put the love of God on display for them. We are to give them every opportunity through our words and through our deeds to know the God that we worship, and we all have a role to play. In closing, we read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 8, The passage we read in chapter 12 is referring to putting the blood on the doorpost. Chapter 13 is referring to the Passover meal when they would eat the bread remembering the Exodus. And once again, you have kids coming to their parents saying, Mom, Dad, why do we do this stuff? We're not in Egypt anymore. Well, verse 13, rather chapter 13, verse 8 gives us the answer. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. That's why we keep having this meal. That's why we keep talking about God. Because we want to know what God did for us. And we want you to know what God has done for us. Whether we realize it or not, our kids are being taught. If not by us, then they're being taught by someone else. And some of the things they're taught may be true. Some of them may be good. But many of them aren't. So may we as Christian parents recover the lost art of educating our children. May we as a church recover the lost art of educating the next generation in what we believe. What God has done for us. Who God is. May we share what the Lord has done for us through Jesus Christ with those who come after us. May we teach them about who he is. May we teach them how by the death and resurrection of his son, we have been freed from our own Egypt, not metal chains, not physical slavery, but chains to sin and death, slavery to judgment. We've been freed from that. Thanks to Jesus Christ, may we pass that on to those who come after us. May we glorify God in doing so. And may we pray that someday they will come to glorify God as well. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time we have together. Father, thank you for this awesome and intimidating responsibility of teaching the kids who live with us, the kids who go to church with us, the kids in the chairs next to us about who you are. Father, I pray that as we Come to understand your beauty and your grace and your glory, your holiness, your power. That we would be so in awe of it that we can't help but share it with those who come next. We can't help but share it with those who you've given us to care for. Father, I pray that we as a church, we as parents, we as families, we as a body of believers would do a good job of educating our children in the faith, educating those who come next. May we do it all for your glory. May we do it all for the honor of your son, Jesus Christ, who brought us out of our, out of our own Egypt, brought us out of our own Exodus. And Father, I pray that our kids would know, if nothing else, that they would know a little bit about who you are that our words and our deeds, our actions, our lives would give them even just the tiniest glimpse of your glory, would give them just the tiniest peek at how powerful and good and gracious you are. Father, I pray that we would embrace this responsibility, that we would encourage each other, pray for each other as we do this all together as a church. And again, we pray that you would be glorified through our efforts in our homes and here in this room, in this building. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.